And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with my beanie brother, partner in crime, uh, Dr. Bear Paul Lando, uh, coming to you live and direct from the somewhat snowy realm of the state of Jefferson, the great state of Jefferson here on the Smith River, as we got a little snow this morning. And uh, it's uh, finally happening, Bear. The mountains are opening. I'm going snowboarding probably tomorrow morning. Very excited. Man, it's been uh, a, a month of waiting, uh, but uh, winter is definitely here and probably will go into May this year. <laughs> so um, great to see uh, the snow coming down and uh, all of that. So I have one fun announcement before we bring Steve Young on. Uh, very excited to have Steve back. It's been two years since he's been on AlphaCast, and we get to dive deep into everything he's been up to of late with uh, going into his authorship of his first book, which is very exciting. And to see Steve sort of step out into the public uh, as he has over the last two years since he's been on AlphaCast. He was involved with the end of COVID and uh, some other summits, I believe, and has been involved on the sort of in the back channels of some of the groups we're on uh, in in uh, these really fun groups where we're exploring different avenues of real science and health and, and metaphysics and all that. And it's just been wonderful to be um, involved with all this with Steve and yourself, Bear, as we bring to light the true science of the realm. Um, I do have one, you know, so Steve actually came out and he performed at Music and Sky uh, in 2023. And that was really awesome to see him uh, come all the way out from Scotland. And I know it was quite uh, a trip to get him out there. Uh, there was a number of issues with uh, green, what was it, uh, your green card or your uh, your ability yeah, to come out, Yeah, your visa excuse me, uh, and we were able to do it literally in the ninth inning and really in extra innings. And to get you there, I think you came a day or two later than uh, you first wanted to, but we got you there, you performed, the sheriff tried to well, shut us down that night, uh, but then you were able to perform uh, again. Uh, I think you played like two and a half sets or something at Music and Sky which was really cool and uh, it was wonderful to see you again in person and have you perform. I think that was your your first live set in the States since pre-COVID. Uh, and uh, now you are uh, performing out again. Bad words, Mike. <laughs> oh, I said the CV word. Uh, and and I just wanted to, to let everyone know uh, very exciting that um, it looks like next week we will be announcing the dates for the next Music in Sky 2024. Very excited. I have to go do a uh, we're going down to check out the venue. And if all is good, we will be announcing those dates. Uh, I don't want to say too much right now, except I, I, I will tell you what the title of it's going to be. Matt Nolan and I agreed on it last night. Music in Sky, The Great Outdoors, A Family Campout Extravaganza. Uh, we're going big with 2024. It's going to be the biggest music in sky we've ever done. And we're doing something completely different than we've ever done. Um, we've listened to the community and the, the, one of the big things we've heard is not only are people sort of, um, getting tired with sort of the summit, uh, festival, um, you know, uh, concept of going and listening to people, the same people over and over again, speak on stage. But people want to be more involved. People want to be heard. People want to engage. 
um, this community is ready. So this is going to be more of an open source collaborative event. Anybody can talk. There'll be one main stage. Um, there are no uh, headliners. We will probably will be booking some bands to play. But um, if you are an artist, a speaker, uh, a creative, an imaginator, which we all are, and you want to be heard, um, this is the place to come for Music in Sky. Uh, it's going to be really different. Uh, the cost is going to be a lot less. It's, this is the family event. So essentially everybody is, um, we talk about being of service. Well, this is it. Um, this is going to, we're basically creating the model for the future world we all want to be in. This is essentially going to be a, a village that you're coming to, to co-create in. Um, everybody, if you, uh, the way we're setting it up is when you purchase your ticket, you will sign up for their volunteer um, uh, every day, how you want to uh, essentially contribute to the event. There'll be a drop down where you select if you want to work in the kitchen, if you want to help with cleanup, you want to organize, whatever your superpowers are, you'll bring to the table. If you're a speaker, uh, you can apply for that um, to, for, to be a, a highlighted speaker, or you can just join in on the, the daytime. We'll have a certain time, probably from like noon till six every day, where you can just sign up on the board and you get your 10 to 15 minutes on the stage um, for the community to hear you out. Uh, and uh, we're looking to go up to possibly a thousand attendees. So this is going to be a wonderful platform for you to be heard and to be recognized and witnessed. And our, we really want to see this come together as a village as we co-create uh, and live in uh, the example that we all want to set for humanity. So very excited uh, to see what Music mm -hmm. and Sky can do this year. And you told me yesterday it's going to be in an undisclosed subterranean location. Yes, we're going uh, to Middle Earth. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Uh, some would call it Agartha. But uh, yes, uh, yeah, <laughs> it will be um, definitely. I was thinking of something a little more sinister, but I like your take better. <laughs> uh, we will be digging tunnels. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, very excited. So uh, definitely keep an eye out. Go to musicandsky.com, join the mailing list, or join. go to alphavedic.com and join our mailing list there to be notified of that. Uh, and also, I just want to say the Alpha Vedic uh, new community, private community platform is absolutely phenomenal. Thanks to everybody who's joined there. If you haven't yet, go to alphavedic.com, join us, and uh, come, uh, come join us in the private. It's been a phenomenal experience so far. Uh, Bear Lando is quite active in there. So highly recommend joining that. And then last thing before we get to Steve, Bear is featured in an upcoming summit called the Simple Living Reset. Um, you can go to alphavedic.com forward slash simple living to join that. And um, essentially, this is a summit. I think it's launching, yeah, January 17th through the 21st. So it's coming up quite quickly. Uh, Joel Salatin, our buddy Curtis Stone, the Biggleson Bros, uh, people like Alosha Linov, uh, who's been on AlphaCast before, Jim Gale, Eileen McCusick, all sorts of your favorite people, Dr. Edith, uh, Edith Ubuntu-Chan, Beta Austin are uh, included in this, and it's all about, oh, Raymond Grace, quite a lineup of uh, solutions for essentially going back to uh, the roots of what makes us human and what makes life so precious, and as solutions to counter the technocratic beast system that um, is a joke in our eyes and has no chance 
And essentially, this is how we counter it by going back to being human. And Bear, uh, you did a talk for that that's pre-recorded uh, about uh, beyond traditional medicine, right? And being in sovereign communities. So go check that out, alphavedic.com forward slash. Yeah, that was, living. that was in the can uh, maybe a couple months ago and I did that. So uh, to be honest, I have no idea what we talked about, but uh, I'm sure it was great. Oh, uh, see, when's uh, Anarchapoco? Because that's February, and I was just thinking last night. I meant to talk to you about it yesterday, the exact date, because uh, I got to think of something to record and say on that thing. Uh, so is that early February? Uh, and you're going down there. I'm doing the virtual, uh, the virtual presentation, so I don't have to get arrested at TSA. But what's the date on that? Yeah. So the date. Thank you for bringing that up. The date is February 11th through the 16th down in okay. Acapulco at the Hardin Secreto. <laughs> Secreto? So I have plenty of time, good. Yeah, and you, if you guys go to alphavedic.com forward slash Anarchapoco, um, you can get tickets there and join us. Uh, the Biggelsons will be there as well as uh, Andrew Kaufman and Alex Zach and a bunch of us will be in Acapulco uh, hanging out. Um, I was checking out the surf. There are a couple surf spots where we'll be. Uh, I might have to rent oh, a yeah. car to go uh to go to them and uh, so this time um, of year it can be serious surf down there so just uh be forewarned yeah uh big adam uh uh hit me up about um uh, at least getting in the uh some body surfing in but i told him i've already found a rental place and i'm not going to bring a surfboard with me but uh i was she told him you're not a sponger you're a real surfer <laughs> yeah well now i am um but uh yeah looking forward to that and um We'll talk later, Bear, about getting you dialed in on uh, your talk for that. Yeah, I think I told him I was going to do, and I'm just saying this for Steve's sake here since it's what our talk is about. I think I told him I'm going to do a talk on alchemy and herbal medicine and, and that sort of thing. We did one on, uh, I categorized six areas of what actually causes disease. So I'm going to kind of morph that into uh, a preface by alchemy and then show how these real... Uh, things that cause illness out there are also part of an alchemical process. So uh, that would be kind of fun. I've just started thinking about that yesterday. Mike, take it away. Yeah, I'm excited to go deep into many of our favorite topics today with our guests, Steve Young, theoretical and nuclear physicist turned music producer and DJ. Steve Young, a.k.a. Headflux, returns to AlphaCast for an exclusive preview of his soon-to-be-released book tentatively titled Conspiracies of Science and the Secret Art of Alchemy. Uh, in our last interview, Steve elaborated on his quest to find scientific explanations of the shamanic experience and the alchemy of music through the harmonics of 432 hertz. Quote, I was finally led toward the ancient art of alchemy. Artists and philosophers have for millennia contemplated the nature of truth and sought beautiful and enduring ways to express it, while the ruling classes have worked to hide, obscure, and distort it, preferring to keep the public divided in ignorance. Uh, Steve has honored AlphaCast with the formal announcement of, of his upcoming publication, and we couldn't be more thrilled. As, ex as Steve explains... Quote, I originally wanted to write a book about alchemy, since this was the single greatest knowledge discovery of my life, and I have desperately wanted to share that beautiful wisdom with people in my own words, though it's proven to be not an easy task. 
I discovered the hard way that many are not ready to hear, and what seems clear and beautiful and divine to me can sound like total obscure nonsense to someone else, especially with the modern framework of mindset, which we'll get in today, I'm sure. Uh, quote, it became apparent that I couldn't very well teach people about alchemy without first showing them how all of the modern science dogma they've been force-fed since birth is incorrect. So the book is two parts, 12 chapters each. Uh, the first part is a negretto of sorts, um, where the commonly held theories that underpin physics, chemistry, and biology are rebuked and incinerated in the fires of criticism, reduced to their ashes, as only an alchemist could. Um, <laughs> this is my best attempt uh at countering the counterintelligence propaganda that has corrupted science at the root level here's a quote from dr bear simply put nature is motion through transmutation and alchemy is the demonstration of these principles and here's a final quote from steve uh the second part is an albedo is it albedo or albedo i'm sorry don't know my latin there uh it's all about bringing the light unveiling the true science of alchemy here I dive into many different aspects of the art, the history, the elements, the principles, the seven processes, and their correspondence to life and creativity. Uh, to find out more about Steve and his work, um, the website I have on there, Steve, is headflux.com, H-E-D-F-L-U-X.com. I don't know if you're going to have another website going or not. Yeah, I mean, that's my only website at the moment, but yeah, I will, okay. I will get another one, yeah. Okay, wonderful. Well, hey, man, great to have you back on the show. Uh, Bear Lando, take it away, sir. Gentlemen, uh, looking forward to this one. Steve, great to see you again, buddy. Uh, we had a fun talk last time. I'm uh, really digging on your website, Headflux. Uh, I've been a member ever since our last or our first meeting. He said like two years ago. That's crazy. So uh, I encourage everybody to get over there to headflux.com. It's H-E-D-F-L-U-X.com. Is that correct? And uh, yeah, amazing music and creativity there. So uh, it's it's really a fun place to hang out. Uh, I do that a lot of uh, kind of in my nocturnal activities. I have that going at the same time. So thanks for that. And great to have you back. And thanks for making time for us. Uh, sorry, I didn't get to give you a hug in person at Music and Sky, oh, but we were yeah. under fire evacuation. Uh, before I get started here, have you ever seen my um, my uh, alchemy lab out there? Oh, there's a ladder. I had to go up on the roof during the storm. Uh, you see out in the back there, got greenhouses and stuff. It's kind of winter muted colors out there, but that's my little lab. Actually, it's a pretty good-sized lab. Can do just about anything I want out there. Uh, very sophisticated uh, laboratory equipment and uh, that's where I spend a lot of my winter hours processing things that I grew in uh, growing season. So anyway, here we go. Thought you might get a kick out of that. So um, Steve, we have a lot to talk about. Really want to hear about your book. And uh, one of my favorite topics is alchemy, which to me is real science. And it took centuries of uh, just mind control indoctrination to make people believe that the universe is a, a set of fixed elements versus waveforms in motion transmuting one into each other every single moment and the old alchemist uh, could demonstrate that in 
uh, their labs. That's what I still do when I'm making stuff out there. So uh, why don't we first catch up with you? Tell us uh, what you're up to. Uh, uh, The book is a big thing, of course, but um, tell us what else you've been doing since uh, maybe since you saw Michael at Music and Sky even. Well, thanks for the great introduction, guys, and it's uh, a pleasure to be back. Yes, well, uh, you know, this, or sorry, last year, 2023, I went back out and played some shows, uh, which were my first shows since uh, 2019. Um, and uh, that was a great experience coming out to Music and Sky and meeting so many of you, but not not you, Dr. Bear, that'll have to be reserved for another time. And hopefully I can come and visit that Alchemy Lab uh, sometime as well. That would be... Uh, yeah, amazing. that'd be a blast. Love to, <laughs> love to see you out here. Um, so yeah, I did, uh, like four or five shows over summer, which was interesting, you know, after a long break from, uh, doing shows, uh, it was interesting coming back with all the changes, you know, as sort of different world, like new eyes, um, uh, compared to 2019. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> and new music, which of course I, I had a new record come out in December, uh, nostalgia EP, which, um, just three weeks ago, but it's already last year's music. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I've been getting that out. But yeah, in the background for the last sort of year, year and a half, uh, I've been working on a book. Um, now I've been sort of, I mean, I've spoken about some things over the last few years, you know, when I've needed to say something, I've said it, but I tend to be not very good at persisting with the message. I don't like repeating myself, you know what I mean? I'll just make a big statement, <laughs> says everything, and then I say it once right. and then I leave it, you know, that's that tends to be where I'm at, but um. So uh, I wrote some pieces for the end of COVID um, to kind of set set the record straight on my views on on virology and uh, and how <clears throat> you know because a, a lot of people are coming to understand that virology is uh, you know not this like hard science uh, but it's actually very you know theoretical and uh, confusing Shocking. yeah and and so I, I kind of came to virology quite late in the game right because I was you know, looking into physics and all this, this other stuff, which, you know, is like a, lo- a lower level, like a smaller scale than, than virology. But, um, you know, with all the, the stuff that happened in 2020, I, I started to see the sort of bigger picture, how virology is sort of built on another theory, which is like evolution, basically. And, and, and evolution is built on the theory of heliocentrism and gravity and these are built on the theories of atomism and it is like this stack of theories that goes back through history for the last several hundred years and um you know they're they're sort of like installed and then like new theories are built on top of them and new theories are built on top of them and i I felt like i had this very just clear uh almost like superhuman ability to see all of science see what is theoretical and what is factual and and in my view, I see that's a big problem in the world right now is people don't know what is theory and what is fact, you know, and so they and they conflate the two and, and get them mixed up and so on. Um, well, that's what they that's why they call the experts PhDs, which stands for piled high and deep. Piled high and deep, yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, I've, I've had this PhD for, uh, what, 20 years now, and, you know, I haven't really known what to do with it you know or like how to use it i you know and so i I didn't really i don't really use the title all that much but i guess i've I've come to realize in the last few years of course credentials are not everything but they are something you know and it's just a morsel because there's millions of phds right so it, it just gives you a morsel of credibility 
with which to talk about your subject, you know, and, and at the end of the day, I haven't talked about it a great deal because I've been busy with music and art and, you know, various other things, but I've been researching in the background and I've been getting clearer and clearer about uh, all, all science, the philosophy of science in general. And uh, my studies in alchemy sort of brought me to a point where <clears throat> I could see where alchemy and science overlap, that that's the truth. Right. And then everything else that's theoretical, it's like a Venn diagram, you know, everything else that's theoretical just gets pushed out. Um, and uh, I find um, conventional studies are important in that they give you a vocabulary so that you do not feel vulnerable when you're out there mixing it up with the experts. And it also serves as a foundation to see where we could contrast between what people believe now and what people knew in past times. So, uh, you know, I, I found a lot of my background useful as much as it was useless. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, there's, there's you, yeah. The learning process is useful, you know, the discernment, the analysis, you know, all these things, like even though you may be looking at knowledge, which later turns out to be of no use to you, um, you know, you exercised your <clears throat> intellect in the process of kind of learning it and unlearning it. <laughs> so, so sometimes we don't learn anything except how much of a fool we were, right? It's like, <laughs> we just like, well, I didn't learn anything, but I learned that I was a real fool for believing that stuff. But um no, so so what I mean, I think where alchemy um, runs into resistance in the modern time, it's all about atomism and the atomic theory because it really that challenges the theory of ether um, or the reality of ether um, at, at the fundamental level. And so, so what we see is like the reality of ether, fire, earth, air, and water has been. Uh, replaced or overlaid with an ato atomic terminology. So all the modern sciences, physics, chemistry, biology are based on atomic theory, uh, or at least they have uh, atomic terminology when uh, they're talking about things. So for example, chemists will tell you that they're making molecules, <laughs> but they're making liquids, right? They're making liquids and salts. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's just, they'll be like oh i just made this molecule but you know they, they they got a liquid they mixed it with another liquid they're, they're making liquids you know but they'll talk about making molecules and you know we, we see this kind of mixologist in everything sorry so uh, i'd call them mixologist mixologist yeah yeah so you know chemistry is good and they may do good science by you know measuring everything properly and mixing things properly and doing really good practical science but the theoretical story that they tell you about what's actually happening is based in atomic terminology and atomic jargon, you know, bonds and all this stuff. Um, and, and I've just found over the years that all that stuff just comes out in the wash. It does, it's no use. It's just like a, a lingo, a way of thinking about what's going on inside the material. But actually, no one's actually working with atoms and molecules. People work with liquids and solids and gases. You know, all chemistry is liquid, solids, and gases, you know, and heat, of course, fire, light. Um, but uh, the molecules are just these models which kind of encode the properties of the substance in a, you know, a visual representation or so on. Um, and, uh, you know, in the periodic table of the elements, for example, 
there's no elements. <laughs> there's no fire. There's no water. There's no air. There's no earth. Um, so one yeah, of the things right. I want to get to the bottom of why are the elements not in the periodic table? Why is hydrogen and oxygen considered an element, but water is not? Um, and you know what I find there is, I mean, it goes back to the 17th century. Um, essentially, the definition of the word element was changed from uh, being like a sort of rudimentary and widely available substance like water or, or fire or earth um, to being a purified substance. You know, so the definition of a chemical element is a purified substance. Um, and, you know, hydrogen and oxygen are created from water and electricity. You know, uh, water is not created by hydrogen and oxygen. Now, maybe you can, if I'm wrong about this, you can tell me where, but I've been trying to find an example of someone making water by mixing hydrogen and oxygen together. It, it's, a, it's a con, you know, so Cavendish was supposed to have done it back in the 17, 1700s. He did an experiment where he put some hydrogen in a bottle and then blew it up. And then there's some drips of water on the glass. He says, well, that's because the, the hydrogen and oxygen fuse together to make the water, but it's just condensation. Like you can do it now. It's just condensation from the explosion that happened. You know, the rapid change in, in temperature and pressure um, creates condensation on the glass. But based on that experiment alone, we're told that hydrogen and oxygen can be put together to make water, but it can't because water can't be created. And so hyd hydrogen, Cavendish didn't have a name for it. He just called it um, inflammable air. <laughs> so, so Cavendish was responsible for making the word flammable mean the same as inflammable, right? So think how many accidents might have happened in science labs as a result of that, for example. But uh, so he just called it inflammable air. And then someone else is a uh, Lavoisier uh, came along and named it hydrogen, which means water generator. But here's the thing, it doesn't generate water. Like you can't make water with it. So, so hydrogen has been named as this water generating atom. And my theory is I, I think hydrogen is actually just ether. Hydrogen is ether. They've renamed it into hydrogen, um, but you know, even in, even in physics and chemistry, they tell you everything's made from hydrogen because it's the smallest atom. So if everything's made from hydrogen, then it's like saying everything's made from ether, right? It's, this, it's the smallest atom. It rises up the fastest of all the elements or all the gases. Hydrogen goes straight up, you know, into the you know, canopy uh, and, and hangs around. And um, I've been, you know, I've been trying throughout this process to find any evidence that hydrogen and oxygen can be like smashed together it's, into water. But it, it's all pretty yeah. intuitive, really, um, you know, and it's hard to imagine that some of these brilliant minds just can't sit still for a second and think things out. And it's not that we're trying to demean anybody here. We're just making fun of them. That's all. But, you know, the, the whole uh, concept that there's no ether is pretty fantastical because now you have to believe in something called no thing and if we're going back to the the top of the intelligence hierarchy where original idea or creativity comes from how do you create a no thing i just uh you know in the world of simulation that's that's a good feat in and of itself but please go ahead <laughs> 
Yeah, so it's, I think, interesting with the hydrogen thing, you know, there's all these videos, you'll see all these videos on YouTube, and the title will be like, creating water from hydrogen and oxygen, and they'll, they'll do all this stuff, they'll get the hydrogen and the oxygen, they all, and then they'll like, put the hydrogen, blow it up, and it'll just be this huge explosion. And they'll be like, yeah, the, the water's in the air, the water's all little bits in the air, right? It's, it's like, it sounds a lot like virology. <laughs> 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 Take the snot out, add a bunch of gunk to it, throw it in the thing, spin it, well, kill it, and then pull it out and dry it and then throw some, you know, electronic light beams at it. And then you see particles and go, see, those particles were there. It, it, it's just, oh, they're yeah. just looking at after effects without any concept of cause. So can we maybe back up and talk about the elements? You know, of course, we have, uh, you, you know, we talk about all the time, fire, air, water, and, and earth, and we can attribute maybe certain from molecular theory kind of concepts associated fire, hydrogen, you know, air, nitrogen, water, oxygen, carbon for earth. Um, but those elements in themselves are products of other attributes that we call uh, hot, cold, dry, and wet, um, you know, and then that, those attributes actually form the four elements. And because when you go into those levels of reality, then things really start to become logical. Yeah. It's like the elements are sort of, uh, defined by their properties. They're like, uh, right. You know, that like, it's like water is the wetness of the ether, you know, and, and earth is the wet and, wet and cold is yeah. water. Yeah. Or like earth is the dryness of the ether, uh, as it were, or the inertia of the ether, you know, yeah. that's the property of earth is the inertia. It's actually still, you know, and this gets into the whole spinning earth stuff and everything, but you know, earth, the element, uh, not earth, the planet, cause that doesn't exist, <laughs> but earth as the element, the dirt under your feet is, um, is still it's uh you know it has a property of stillness it doesn't move unless it's uh pushed or pulled essentially you know it resists movement and you know all the other elements move you know fire expands and you know moves out uh air like swirls around and blows and, and water flows and everything but earth is <laughs> still you know it's completely inertial um <clears throat> has this property of dryness it also has the property of being fractal. Um, <clears throat> you know, Earth is, uh, it has a roughness. You can look at it at any scale and it'll always look the same. You know, look at a small rock, it could look like a mountain far away or a rock close up or whatever. It's just uh, Earth has this fractal property. It looks the same at all different scales. Um, and of course, uh, I was like to say, you know, Earth is not where we are, it's, it's what we are. You know, it's like, no, uh, Earth is not a location and it's also not an object, um, but it is what we are made of. You know, we are walking Earth. <laughs> of course, we have fire and water and we breathe air as well, but, you know, um, you know, we're, we're pretty solid. Yeah, this and um, play. say that again, please. And being the, say, um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just saying, I uh, did. Uh, to tag on that, just this, you know, the classic notion in alchemy and in the, in the occulted, occulted arts that we are the, we are the divine activated clay, right? Um, our bodies are literally clay. And it's, it's an electrical system, uh, you know, the levels of the ether. And of course, what we're talking about as far as inertia, 
Uh, it's just the, the capacitance of the carbon element or the earth element, which receives all the resonance that is further qualified and further densified, we'll say, with every um, level of ether that it travels through until the final uh, capacitance or resonance collecting happens at the earth level, which gives uh, the appearance of form and function. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the earth earth has the qualities of all the other elements as well so isn't it yep. right so earth is like the product of the action of fire air and water like all together uh it's like the the offspring of the sort of mixing of the other three elements yeah in the human body is a little mini version of that with the same uh, levels of ether. We call it by different things, but it explains exactly everything you need to know about medicine or anything else at the same time, which of course, uh, why we were taught or indoctrinated into stick figure uh, theory, which means a bunch of magic BBs somehow stuck together to form these little spontaneous creatures that are running around out of thin air. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so this is um, when I did the, the talk for the end of COVID, I used the Tower of Babylon um, as, a, as a metaphor, you know, so that kind of, you know, spiraling tower with its different levels and so on as a metaphor for modern science. Um, and, you know, at the bottom of it all is the, is the atomic theory, you know, it really, you know, I would say all physical you know, physical theories are based on the theory of the atom. And, uh, you know, we see that it was one of the first things I remember in my physics class, you know, was noticing the similarity between the solar system model and the atomic model. You know, it's incredibly similar. You know, you're like the sun obviously corresponds to the nucleus. You know, we're told that it's a nuclear um, system, the sun. And then we have the planets going around it in these orbits, which correspond with the electrons and everything. And you know, in some ways, the solar system is an atomic model of the sky. You know, it's a model of the sky based on the model of the atom. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, heliocentrism does come out from atomism, but there's a theory in between those, which is the theory of gravity. Um, <clears throat> now, gravity, Obviously, the solar system theory is based on the theory of gravity, but the theory of gravity is based on the atomic theory because it's ultimately said to be a force is coming emanating from atoms uh, as a consequence of their nucleus. Um, and so, <clears throat> uh, so when we really want to get to the, the root of all this, we have to look at the atomic theory, which you know goes back to Democritus, like ancient ancient Greece and everything. Um, and, and it's gone through many different uh, flavors and shapes. There's been all kinds of different like atomic theories over the centuries. Um, but in, you know, its latest kind of form is like quantum physics, basically what they call qu quantum physics, um, uh, or nuclear physics as well, which I study in particle physics, uh, and all these kind of things. They're like the, the latest flavor of atomism um and so yeah i've just been really trying to get to the root of why this is well first of all you know debunking much of it you know trying to get through are people actually working with atoms you know in molecules 
you know, is there really a nucleus? Does the atomic nucleus even exist? You know, um, and all this kind of thing. So really just getting to the bottom of all that and trying to understand, yeah, just all the science that's been built on these assumptions and, and how it all relates. So that's really what the first part of uh, my book is about, is like breaking all that down. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do it at a philosophical and a general interest level as well, by the way. You know, this is not supposed to be a, a rebuttal to academic physics and all their... I, because that, that that's that would be boring, I think, for <laughs> the majority of readers, right? It's at a philosophical level, I think, at a level that people can relate to. Um, and uh, as I say, I have to do this first. Before I can teach people about alchemy, I have to explain why the, the science of uh, the modern age is wrong um, and where it's wrong, you know? Um, so, I... go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you go. No, please. No, you. I was going to ask because obviously it's fundamental to um, countering atomism and the way the having a medium, right? What we call the ether. Um, the modern uh, science will make the claim that the Mickelson Morley uh, experiment thoroughly um, showed that the ether doesn't exist. Um, do you tackle that at all in your book and um, how that relates to also spinning ball and everything? <laughs> because there are quite um, some important uh, takes takeaways from that experiment. If you start to um, look at it towards the, the idea of being on a stationary plane versus on a spinning ball. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the Michelson Morley experiment is an interesting one. I must admit, I didn't go into it in the book, um, but that doesn't mean I've not gone into it thoroughly in many other ways. You know, and I think it, the reason maybe I didn't go into that it was. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I've just talked about it a lot. I've read about it a lot. I mean, I could include it now that you mention it. Um, there's so so much to say. You know, it is such a big topic. Um, and I've approached it from many different angles. But um, yeah, with the michelson Murley experiment, I mean, the idea is that, um, well, they're assuming, they're, of course, they're assuming the Earth is moving when they do the experiment, right? So that's essentially the problem <laughs> with the michelson Murley experiment, you know, um, the the movement of the earth i mean the, the way the way we're told it i always remember a quote that i've seen around that says um what's his name copernicus nicholas copernicus set the world in motion right set the world <laughs> in motion with his theory of the solar system right so it's obviously rhetorical you know because you know one man is not going to set the world in motion by by his declaration it's ridiculous but we're expected to believe <laughs> that actually the earth was spinning the whole time, right? And that people prior to the 15th century were so primitive and they were, they were just lacking understanding of gravity. They, hadn't, they hadn't, didn't have the theory of gravity. They didn't have heliocentrism and they were too primitive and naive to realize that they're spinning on a, a ball through, through space. And that, that's what we're supposed to believe. Um, but actually what happened with Copernicus, you know, Actually, all that changed was the opinion of the clergyman, right? Because it was a Catholic, it was a Catholic doctrine, and it was heretical for like two hundred years or something. And then eventually, they're like, you know what? It's all right. Let's, it's 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 all right. Let's start teaching it. And now we're like, you know, some hundred and fifty years or so into this heliocentric theory being taught in schools all over the world, 
um, and uh, you know, all because of this Copernicus guy came up with this theory, and the clergyman decided it was believable, and they were going to teach it and everything. But, you know, the Earth didn't start spinning. You know, <laughs> it's it was kind of the way it's taught to us. You know, it was like long ago, it was like stationary, and then you know, a guy came up with the theory, and then the world started spinning, and now we all live on the spinning world. Um, but actually, either way of looking at it is is ridiculous because there's there's no spin, and you know, you talk to pilots, you know, talk to pilots about about it. It's like literally any pilot with a basic knowledge of classical mechanics knows fine well they could never land on a spinning ball. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's it's ridiculous to even you know uh, th think about landing an airplane on a spinning ball. Um, the the forces involved would just uh, you know throw it right off. I mean, even walking on the outside of a spinning ball. You know, life on the outside of a spinning ball is just impossible. And uh, I think loads of people have like shown this to be the case. And the only way you can sort of make it work is with this magic sauce called gravity, which just uh, fixes everything and stops us getting, you know, hurled out into space. Uh, as Yeah, I did. Uh, I did flight training myself, uh, getting a pilot's license. And I don't remember them telling me to anticipate the spin when I was landing or taking off. <laughs> I also, when I was up at high altitudes, don't remember seeing curvature, but maybe I was just missing something. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I started looking at the flat earth stuff back in like uh, 2015, 2016. And, you know, obviously I, I reacted to it the same way as everyone else does at first. You know, you're just like, well, pff, that's crazy. And the more I thought about it, I thought, well, I don't really know. I mean, I've never seen the globe. I've seen pictures, but I've never seen, you know, I've never actually seen evidence of it. And I don't, you know, we, we don't feel like we're spinning. I mean, even mainstream physicists will tell you there's no, there's actually no way, you know, people like Brian Cox and that, they'll tell you that there's no way to test whether or not you're actually moving. There's no way for us to know. It's only by theory that we know that we're moving, right? So they'll even tell you there's no way that you can physically prove it. Um, so yeah, with the flat earth stuff, I mean, you have to kind of come into a position of neutrality, you know, which I, I had no problem doing. I was just like, okay, I'm going to be neutral now, and then I'm going to look at the evidence for and against the spinning ball Earth. And uh, and I did. And then, so, of course, what happens, you start pouring through all the evidence, and, you know, you eventually realize that you've been completely duped. And, like, the penny just drops, you know. And, uh, you know, for me, this happened back in 2016. Um, and, you know, it's like they say that no one ever goes back, right? There's no... Once you once you know that you're not on a spinning ball, no one ever goes back to believing that they are on a spinning ball. I mean, why? Yeah, why would you? You yeah. know, it's uh, well. The <laughs> flat Earth is another synthesized pejorative, like conspiracy theorist, and uh, those of us that have investigated deeply and found that the narrative is largely lies. I mean, that's all you need to know. I, you know, I haven't. I don't know what shape the Earth is. I've never seen it. I do know for a fact that they're telling a bunch of whoppers. So that's a good starting point, I think, just for any kind of legitimate investigation. We're not making claims. Uh, we can just prove that other people are lying. And then, of course, the next question is, who are these people and why are they lying to us? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, there's that whole side of it as well. So, I mean, 
at first I thought, well, they're, they're, everyone means well, right? That's <laughs> your first, is that everyone means well, they're all just doing their best, you know, trying to come up with theories to explain the world and all that kind of stuff. But um, in the light of learning alchemy, once I started to understand alchemy and see how that works and see how that's the true science, then uh, the actual, the theoretical science started to look a bit more sinister. Um, and the deeper I got into it, I mean, there's obviously people who are just in it for, you know, they're just learning, they're just trying to figure things out. But at the top level, uh, it does seem quite sinister. And then, of course, with the whole, uh, the C word uh, that happened in 2020, um, and which was just so unbelievably sinister. <laughs> I think we're all still trying to figure out like how the world is going to like respond to this, but um, it's incredibly sinister. And yeah, and just seeing how they use the, the theories and the maths and the modeling and the, you know, coercion and just all every the deception. Oh, it was, yeah, it was a real eye opener. And um, I think for me, it just brought it all together. You know, um, all the conspiracies, like a lot of people said that, right? It's like, until 2020, conspiracy research was just like this curiosity on the internet. <laughs> 2020, you're like, holy shit, it's happening. You know, it's like, it's all happening, you know? uh yeah so uh it's been a crazy few years but um uh anyway yeah sorry i lost my train of thought it's, there. it's been and uh part two is uh already building to be quite a hoot and uh that's coming soon here so they're already preparing us for that but uh well you know i i can't even imagine what you've done and you have the am most amazing background to do it you know you just lend legitimacy to your uh you know to your whole premise that you're putting it forth in part one so where did you even what was your exact starting point in part one i mean where do you where do you begin when you're trying to do something like this well um i mean i start i start the book talking about the fool and the wise man um you know this uh like folly and wisdom essentially which has been a big thing for me uh in the, these last few years because you know as a dj and musician uh, I'm, I'm essentially a fool you know and i came to realize this so a fool you know you sometimes think a fool is like someone who's stupid or can't really learn or who's like slow or unintelligent but i for me the fool is one who plays right just one who plays and uh you know because it's also the wild card yeah yeah exactly the jester and the first card in in the tarot deck which is the book of wisdom uh, and sort of telling you that the the fool is the first step on the path to wisdom. And there's some great quotes, you know, like the, uh, the if the fool shall persist in his folly, he shall become wise, you know, uh, these kind of things, you know. And uh, I am, I, um, you know, going alone, doing music pr production independently, a lot of people thought that was a foolish move, you know. Um, it was something I had to do it was coming from inside me, you know, not coming from the people around me who are like, that's ridiculous, that's foolish. Uh, and of course, as a, as a professional DJ, you are entertainment for hire. I mean, you are a fool. People, <laughs> you know, pay me to go and get up on stage and dance around and, uh, you know, play the fool, essentially. You know, I started to see, even though I took myself very seriously, I started to see how it's not that much difference to like clowns and jesters and all that kind of thing like DJs, you know, it's like you're up there to help people lower their inhibitions to uh, relax and have a good time and to see things differently. Uh, like the Heoka in uh, the Native American tradition, you know, that the idea is like 
you live life opposite to everyone else, you know, and like with the DJ, for example, the DJ goes to work when everybody else is going to party. And then the DJ goes to sleep when everyone else is going back to work. You know, it's like you're, you're in this sort of like inverted world from everyone else. And, uh, um, you know, and so, yeah, so I don't see the fool as someone who's like stupid or, or unintelligent, uh, although that can be, uh, you know, the word can be used that way. But I see it as someone who is playful in the face of like, you know, great, you know, uh, pressure of the world you know the world is a super serious place it's like there's all this like shit you know you got to pay your bills and there's war and depopulations and genocides and you know all this stuff is like really serious but for you to just play music <laughs> in the midst of all that like that's the fool right and uh and it's an important like important role to play in the world it's like people need to see someone who isn't just bowing to the constant like oppression of the world and it's just playing and having a good time, you know, it's, it's like proper medicine for people. And so I started talking about that and how, you know, my, my midlife crisis, I mean, I'm for nearly 46 now, but from like the age 40, you know, the last five years or so, I've really grown up a lot. And, uh, you know, um, coming from a foolish profession, a professional fool or whatever, and then my science all coming back and everything and just growing up and, you know, awakening and all of it. I'm like, oh, I've got to, I got to become the wise man. Now I've got to go, I've got to transition from the fool to the wise man. And I couldn't figure out any way to do that with music, you know, cause music is ultimately just, you know, about having fun and a good time. And, you know, so, uh, I, so the book is the way, is the way to go, you know, and I've always wanted to write a book, but now is the, now is the time, you know, it, it, I wasn't able to do it until the wisdom started to kick in, if you know what I mean. So well, um, yeah, I was going to say on the fool real quick, Steve, if you look at it in the traditional tarot deck, just kind of like the classic one I have here, it's literally Hermes right there, the mm -hmm. messenger, right? And that's the hermetics tradition, which is fundamental in alchemy. So I find it pretty interesting that you relate to the fool and are yeah. taking on this endeavor. That's it. I mean, the fool wears his heart on his sleeve, you know, completely open, like trusting. So he's always depicted as looking up, right, and about to step off a cliff. So, <laughs> you know, it's a symbol of faith. You know, the fool is about living faithfully, um, whereas people, you know, they think it's about being reckless, right, or being stupid. But actually, it's about being faithful and playful and, uh, you know, being able to take that step off the edge of a cliff, which you know, I, I step off the edge of a cliff every time I go to a gig. You know what I mean? I don't know who I'm going to. I'm going to a new country. I don't know who I'm seeing. What's going to happen there? I got picked up at the airport, drive out to a mountain for five hours and play somewhere in the woods or what? You know, I'm literally stepping off a cliff every time I go and do a show. Uh, and I do it with my head up uh, yep. faith. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'll just add this quote real quick and let you go continue uh, from Hunter S. Thompson. Life has become immeasurably better since I have been forced to stop taking it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. There's great quotes about the fool and the wise man. Um, what is it? It's the, the the fool thinks himself to be wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. Yeah, that's the comment I was just about to make. <laughs> <laughs> so were you going to say that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
and, and that that hit me because that's when I realized I'm a fool, right? And then when you realize you're a fool, you're sort of also wise at the same time, and you become this kind of paradoxical wise fool. Um, and you know, the book of and, uh, Proverbs, the, the Bible, you know, the book of Proverbs, I think it is, uh, it has lots of stuff about the wise man and the fool, lots of really good uh, quotes, and I think a lot of stuff like Shakespeare and all that as well. But it's it's uh, it's like an axis of growth. You know, and I think that midlife point really speaks to it. And particularly if you've been in a profession, which is kind of a foolish, you know, profession, like somewhere you're playing a lot. When you get to midlife, you know, it's hard. A sportsman, for example, right? <laughs> you've been playing sports your whole life. You get to 40 years old. It's like, you know, shit's going to get real. It's like you got to make a transition now. You know, you can't be a sports star, you know, from here on. It's like, uh, you know, things change when you hit 40 for sure. I would. Uh, I would also argue that you could categorize any endeavor uh, the same. You, know, you could take uh, doctoring, lawyering, whatever, uh, you know, and then, of course, that moment of wisdom comes when you have the realization that you're talking about. So it's, uh, I don't think it's exclusive to G DJs or something that we judge as externally fun. It's, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, First, yeah. Uh, the First thing I was going to say is, yeah, you know, being in medicine, it's uh, the realization finally hits home that you aren't doing a darn thing. You can't heal the single person and all your being is a conduit for what really heals. And uh, then you get to have fun with it and take yourself a lot less seriously. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, I'd say in a way like the fools in, in medicine are, are, the, are the whistleblowers, you know, the ones who stepped out and actually spoke the truth right it's like they're not fools because they spoke the truth but they're fools in the eyes of the industry you see and that's it. it's like you're um you know it's that normal people see you as a fool but you're actually what you're doing is clever it's motivated by truth and faith um and uh, you just seem like a fool to everybody else right um, yeah the court gesture was the one that was the only one allowed to speak truth to the king you know because he exactly. masked it in comedy <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Only one allowed to make fun of the king um, and, you know, which diffuses tension and in, in some ways, almost like the king's best friend in a way as well, you know, uh, so very close to the king. And then there's that whole like sort of Saturnalia celebration when they'd switch roles and the fool gets to be a king for a, a day and stuff. Um, yeah, so the, I, I found so much inspiration from this this kind of archetype of the fool um and the many ways in which it appears in our culture and so i started the book uh on on that on that basis you know um and so there's plenty of humor and sarcasm in the book as well you know uh it's not all doom and gloom or or super serious i've, I've been, been sure to put my sense of humor like firmly into it as well um and uh yeah, so as I say, I go through uh, all the different theories underpinning physics, chemistry, and biology, um, and uh, rebuke them, and criticize them, and and debunk them uh, with 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 good humor and so on. Um, and then for the second part of the book, I then get into the alchemical theory, as it were. You know, the fire, earth, air, and the water, the the three principles: uh, salt, sulfur, and mercury, um, and uh, the different ways we can um apply alchemy in our life and how it's been used throughout history and just really helping people to like look at the world in an alchemical way and like you're saying bear you know start to see that everything is transmutation of the elements 
um, because that, that couldn't be more clear to me now. And I really feel like the lights really come on in my life since I stopped looking at things through an atomic lens and actually just look through it through fire, earth, air and water lens. You know, everything has become very clear. Uh, I feel like I understand how everything works. And, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's um, just been really enlightening. And I want to you know, help other people kind of get to that perspective. That can I, that you uh, th this is um a tall order, but can you kind of give us an inclination of the internal processes that maybe you went through or others might encounter when they make that uh, leap of faith into, you know, uh, out of materialism into greater realms and, uh, you know, the ramifications on your spiritual life that happened in the process? Well, uh, yeah, get ready for that should be just in a yes, no answer. <laughs> yeah i mean well the internal processes i mean there's like sort of the dark night of the soul you know which you know that that sort of feeling or the the, the tower you know the, the the tower falling situation when you start to realize all these like things that you held super high up these uh whether it's like theories um or institutions uh you know or yeah, government media whatever it is like things that you might have held on a pedestal uh come crashing down you know when you uh start to <laughs> you start to internalize a lot of this stuff but um you know but everything's fine you know like i try to tell people like that you know they're so afraid to look at like the flat earth stuff or whatever it is it's like it's like i'm i tell you like you're gonna be fine you know nothing bad happens like when you <laughs> just because you stop believing in a theory reality isn't gonna just like suddenly melt away do you know what i mean it's it's actually everything's fine and just the same but now you understand it all clearly because you've ejected the false doctrine you know from your mind um and there's not there's nothing to fear you know but uh but yeah there is the the social consequences which you know in reality you know most people you know will probably think you're crazy and not want to be your friend anymore but you know whatever i mean yeah i think we've all been through a bit of that the last few years anyway probably not so concerned about uh pleasing everybody or you know having everybody agree with you anymore um <laughs> but there has been a correlating um shifting consciousness or or uh transmutation of consciousness so i think these ideas are getting less and less crazy mm -hmm. yeah i mean I, I honestly just the first week of this year um i just have a feeling that this year is going to be a really good year for the light for the resistance I, I feel like there's a renewed like people have got a renewed vigor like a lot of the dark forces are basically dying off they're like a dying breed right they're they're getting weaker and whereas the light side are getting stronger, clearer, uh, new tools, like new, um, new information, like more and more things that are happening are just proving everything that we've been saying to be right uh, for years. You know, it's, it's like compounding. And, uh, you know, yeah, a lot of us have been like, I mean, I've been a bit of a hermit for the last few years. You know, I think a lot of people are probably just like, oh, the world's just a scary place. I don't want to get involved. I'm just going to focus locally on my family and everything. But now, I feel like, yeah, it's like return of the light time. And uh, <laughs> a lot of people are going to come out with just all guns blazing now and just be like, 
yeah, we got, we got it. We got to make things right. You know, we got to fix things. Um, at least that, you know, I hope anyway, I mean, I, I was pretty skeptical of like the great awakening, you know, I, I thought it was just growing up, you know, or wisdom, right. It's like awakening is just when you become wise or when you become mature. Uh, and we can't expect everyone to become wise and mature because most people are young or whatever, uh, young physically or young spiritually. But, um, but actually, I'm, I'm starting to think, no, actually, the, the awakening could be real, that actually we could come to a common understanding of reality, you know, um, with the, the technology and the, the tools we have at our disposal now. And, of course, these strong voices who, who are bold and brave and speak up and share their truth for everyone to, to learn about. So if we could segue a little bit into the actual practice of alchemy, um, maybe if you could share any of your experiences as far as, uh, you know, how you've gone into that per se, you know, I've been asked constantly over the years by people that want to get into practicing alchemy and they say, well, where do I get started? How do I do it? And I say, well, it, it's nothing to do really with a chemistry lab. Uh, that's one way. Uh, and I tell them that you're already practicing alchemy and now it's just a matter of becoming conscious of how you're doing that and it can be applied to there's there's nothing that's not alchemical so uh maybe just if you could share your take on that and sure. uh, what yeah, you've been yeah. up to it's like we're always doing it and you know our bodies are doing it um but we don't know it's so but when we learn about alchemy we can then be more consciously participate in the process um and uh I mean, one of the things I think is wonderful about alchemy is that you can sort of take anything from nature and make it into something better, right? It's like just to take any raw material, whatever, some plant material, water, or some earth, or whatever it is, uh, and through a series of processes, making it into something more potent, stronger, something like imprinted with your kind of personal um, energy and, um, you know, through creativity, we do alchemy, and I even I, I usually make the the case for the cup of tea, right? <laughs> the cup of tea is just like a you know, the tea bag is uh, the the dried leaves, so that's a calcination, drying the leaves and and getting the dried leaves, and then putting the tea bag in the water is a dissolution, you know, and you know stirring it, and uh, um, and then separation is just taking the the tea bag out because you don't want to drink the tea bag, so you got to separate that, and then. The conjunction is when you put the milk and the sugar in there as well and you mix it all together and it becomes a new thing you know it's like you've done four st stages of alchemy you know before <laughs> you've even had your morning coffee <laughs> you know it's like we're, we're doing it all the time but um you know so you, you can find these alchemical processes and all these kind of everyday uh things that we do and in the, the different functions of the organs of our body uh, and all that kind of thing um, once you understand the seven processes and the four elements uh, you'll start to see them everywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, one can, of the ways where, we... yeah, sorry, go on. Uh, no, no, finish that thought, but if you could maybe elaborate uh, on what you just said, the seven and the four, um, and what that means, but, but finish that last thought first. Sure. Well, in, in, um, <clears throat> in uh, culture and stuff, you know, one of the ways where alchemy is used is actually in the production of alcoholic spirits. Uh, I actually have a little bit of whiskey here. 
from Christmas. <laughs> uh, ah. a little whiskey now and again. Um, yeah, just a little bit, but um, you know, it's 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 very pure and it contains such a rich like palette of like uh, flavors and like frequencies. Um, obviously, it's very pure and very strong. And if you drink a lot of it, you can get sick and get a headache and drunk and all that. And I, I don't drink it to get drunk. Um, but uh, it goes through seven steps of purification, you know. So in Alchemy, they talk about the seven steps in to make the Philosopher's Stone, or seven uh, seven processes. Uh, and in making whiskey, you know, all seven processes are employed. So uh, these alcoholic spirits are really the sort of purest sort of alchemical products that you can typically buy in the store, you know um and not beer or wine which beer or wine only go through half the process essentially right it's like but the whiskey and uh and that go through the full like seven steps so they're they're very pure and they can be used medicinally for all sorts of things and of course they were used medicinally for all sorts of things um long ago um but uh you know that's just i, I suppose one example of where the seven steps of alchemy are are employed in a sort of traditional way in, in essentially every country in the world, you know, every country has its own spirit, its own plant spirit that it makes, you know, whether it's whiskey in Scotland, vodka in Russia, or, um, you know, gin and, uh, you know, all these things, um, they're like, uh, you know, alchemical products of, of, of a nation, you know, uh, they have a kind of a national consciousness attached to them as well, you know. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, getting into it my uh my wife is really good at making uh medicines and balms with uh the the herbs and plants and stuff in nature and and they're absolutely uh, phenomenal as well they really work you know it's like i i never used to like put stuff on my skin and all that but these balms that my wife makes um with uh, the herbs in the garden they, they they work for everything they make you feel so good and they're they're so healing um so yeah i just see nature as sort of full of healing potential and uh, uh alchemy is the way to kind of uh you know enhance it and uh, bring it all together and make it into a, a something you know a solid product it also describes the journey of the soul through human embodiment you know we're talking about if you're uh just just simple uh fermentations for beer and wine as you say that's uh the digestion process uh, and in our experience we have experience we digest that experience and then with a little bit of wisdom and the 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 journey from the full to the wise man and back again as we were just talking about now you're going through those seven steps of distillation to purify 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 until you're pure spirit again and that's the whole alchemical journey and um you know chinese medicine which i first learned we we, we had one meridian it's called the triple warmer and the concept of the triple warmer in chinese medicine which is to illustrate that they knew all these things it's three basic compartments that take in uh, elements from the air your food and so forth and then through those three compartments their interaction then you get this whole alchemical process that creates energy for the body so when i go in the lab i'm going to set up my distillation chains or or whatever i'm trying to do reflux you know you name it uh, you know, in order to duplicate exactly the way our bodies do it, exactly the way we observe it happening in nature. And so uh, you, you literally get to play co-creator, but then resonate with the process, which accelerates your own process. So um, pretty cool stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the fermentation, <clears throat> you know, that, you know, I first learned the fermentation in the context was like de uh, death and rebirth, you know, which right. seems a bit extreme at first, but you know, cause what happens with the like fermentation in kombucha, right? It's like you have sugar and it, it's turned into alcohol through the yeast of the fermentation process, but sugar is organic life and alcohol is spirit, which is death, right? It's like, so fermentation is actually organic life dying and spirit being produced in its place, right? Death produces spirit, you know? Um, and then of course, so with things like kombucha and beer and wine, the, uh, the art is in finding that perfect balance of the organic sugary stuff and the spirit, which you've introduced into it through the fermentation. But with spirits, of course, the idea is to get all that sugar out completely. Uh, well, maybe not completely, but, uh, you know, in large part um, through the distillation process and, and make the. You the can't get it out completely. You can. Um, the, the last. Yeah, yeah. The last step in distillation, you can get to about two percent left and then you still got some water and there's ways to add some water to get that final little jump. So you're 100 percent. It's it's a more involved procedure, but it is possible. Yeah, see, that's uh, so I, I mean, I, I don't practice distillation uh, or anything that's still very much in my sort of my theoretical realm. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I took the <clears throat> the principles of alchemy and applied them to music. And, you know, that's obviously been my my main thing. And I think of music production as a kind of dry alchemy, right? It's, <laughs> you know, there's no water involved at all. I'm not spilling anything, right? It's like I'm, I'm, I'm working purely with fire and earth uh elements or you could say air as well with the sound obviously vibrating in the air but i'm not i'm not working with air so much it's you know the the computers the computer is like a hearth um you know it's a it's a an earthen vessel for controlling fire right for bringing in fire in the form of electricity and uh you know working with it and um I think well you do you do realize semiconductors require a massive amount of water to create so in computing itself, there's a lot of water involved. In the manufacturing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, sh sure. Yeah, yeah. I just mean I'm, I'm not working with any water here other than the water I drink. Uh, and I don't think there's any in my, my computer either. But, you know, elementary. I would argue that music does work with all the four elements and then they're alive and well. And every note, of course, has different dimensions, which coincide with different elements. So I, I personally think music is the purest form of alchemy there is and uh, the highest pinnacle of science. That's wow. just my own belief. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, the the... Obviously, the sound effect goes into our body and moves the water and everything. There's the whole, all the elements are in there. But uh, I, I was just thinking of the, the the computer itself, right? The technology, you know. So technology, right. obviously, is not to be mixed with water. In general, technology shouldn't be mixed with water uh, because it's electrical. Uh, electrical systems consist of earth in the form of metal, which is, you know, in Chinese alchemy, they call it a separate element, like metal is a separate element, but I would say metal is just conductive earth, right? It's just conduct earth that conducts heat as opposed to earth, which doesn't conduct heat. Um, and so computers are made, they have the, 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 the fire flowing through them in the form of electricity and they're made from uh, this conductive earth. Um, so it's kind of a dry, a dry alchemy as I see it, but you're right, the, the music, is received by us the listener and we are water 
it's the water in us that's receiving the vibrations that's feeling the feeling seeing the light hearing the sounds and so on yeah there was a good comment in the chat by somebody uh, named alpha warrior and uh, he talks about rudolf steiner uh, uh, explaining how neurology <laughs> gives life to metabolism but then dies in the process of doing so and then metabolism you know reverses the reanimation process so there you go right there you know steiner's just talking about the two two basic poles of uh of biological life neurology and metabolism and it's an alchemical process that requires one part to die in order to you know uh, create a different part and back again yeah yeah um yeah so uh cool did you guys have any other sorry i didn't have a thought to continue there <laughs> well, no I, no you know, um you, go, you go ahead mike you do mention the metal metal right and it is it, it, it is interesting that chinese medicine separates those but alchemy um has a very interesting association of metals with the planets right and defines the specific metals and what i love about in, in overall why i think alchemy is so important to bring back and towards this holistic understanding of how we um relate to the realm is this idea of the qualitative uh association uh, that's not just reductionist quantity um, and relationship, but we're talking about a quality related to consciousness and the biofeedback, the conscious feedback of us as the manipulator, as the creator to the actual material, right? Um, and so just curious if if you cover that in the different metals, there was actually someone asking earlier in the chat if if we could dive a little deeper into those actual metals themselves you know uh you've got what uh a lead tin um iron gold copper silver and an interesting quicksilver yeah. right so, yeah. um and the importance of understanding that for the modern era and where we're going yeah absolutely really interesting stuff about the metals i mean <clears throat> uh, one of the things i learned about lead the um you know we talk about turning lead into gold um, lead is super interesting. It's the most dense material. It's the, essentially the upper limit of density. Um, and uh, <clears throat> Very thing, dry and cold. Yeah. One thing I learned about it, which uh, I, I never learned at school or anything, but it's, it's this property it has called pyro, pyrophoric. And that it, it basically, if, if you reduce lead into a fine powder, it will just spontaneously turn into fire. <laughs> It's the most crazy thing, you know, and, and that it sort of tells you that the gold is in there, right? Because the gold is like this fiery, you know, metal. And yeah, if you break lead down into a powder, I mean, you'll see it on YouTube as well. People pulverize it, powderize it, and then they'll pour it out. And when as soon as it starts coming out, it just turns into fire, just, just disappears. You know, all the lead just goes away and turns into energy. I mean, that's pretty awesome. I didn't learn about that at school, you know, so um and there's a lead. point of correspondence there lead connected to saturn gold connected to the sun many ancient traditions you know going back to the to this idea that saturn was the original sun mm -hmm. and now we have the new sun uh mm -hmm. so we have the the principle of the like the original lead then converting to gold as the original the saturn now to the new sun so this i just bring up this idea of correspondence right how it's all interrelated yeah. from the micro to the macro absolutely yeah and so like in the case of 
led, you know, so they would talk about the planets as being rulers, right? So the seven planets is sort of ruling over certain aspects of um, creation. And, and we can understand their influence in creation by the metals that they correspond with. So in the case of Saturn, it corresponds with lead. You think, okay, well, where, where does lead occur in creation, right? Now, you've got things like uh, lead pipes, right? Uh, lead bullets, you know, um, uh, lead pencils, right? pencils are used to like write stuff and everything. So you start to see the influence of Saturn is uh, extending to things like law and order, right? Um, through, uh, you know, systems, uh, um, you know, pipe work and uh, all this kind of thing, like the structure, the structural foundations, you know, uh, of society um uh like the bones if you like the bones of society and then with jupiter is associated with tin and uh tin has very interesting properties too it's uh it rings like a bell it's used to create bells it's got very uh, nice acoustic properties um <clears throat> it's uh also um yeah very soft uh, acts as a preservative as well obviously we make food in tin um yeah, a lot of interesting things about tin, tin as well. And then, of course, we've got copper and iron, which are Mars and Venus. And, of course, Mars and Venus represent the sort of gender polarity, like the, the god of war and the goddess of like beauty. Um, and we see that in the properties of copper and iron as well, because copper is this wonderfully feminine substance. It feels absolutely amazing. Like to your skin, it's like, it just feels so nice and it's soft and it, it malleable. Whatever you do to it, it retains it. You know, it, it, it takes in all vibrations, all bandwidths. If you bend it, it stays bent. If you twist it, it stays twisted. Like whatever you do to it. It's perfectly malleable. It's 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 the most feminine of all the metals, right? And then you have iron. What's iron? It's completely stiff. It's like it's you know you can't bend it and break it. It's uh, it's much more like masculine. Um, and you know iron is used to, you know, create. Uh, well, it's it's essentially weapons of war. Iron's associated with Mars, the god of war. Iron is used to create weapons of war, to create um, infrastructure for war and, you know, infrastructure for cities and all that, like defensive infrastructure, like um, things that endure, things that protect and things that destroy. Whereas copper is used to connect us all together, right? It's the networks, it's like, you know, it connects us. And um, of course, this copper is just central to all the technology and everything that we have, brings it all together. Um, and then you see that that masculine and feminine sort of gender polarity in the sun and the moon as well, uh, in uh, gold and silver. Um, <clears throat> and then Mercury is given this sort of androgynous status where it's a unity of opposites. So it's sort of ne neither masculine or feminine, but uh, contains um, qualities of both. So I don't know if I was rabbiting on a bit there, but did that... Um, cover some things well, it's it's also interesting that uh, iron of course is what grabs oxygen uh, makes it available to our blood you know as far as the ferrous element and hemoglobin and magnesium has its own version of uh, grabbing what it needs out of the atmosphere with chlorophyll and uh, what's the active element is uh, magnesium uh, then certain invertebrates uh use copper you know that's why when i squish squish a slug up <laughs> it's eating my plants out there that it uh bleeds blue 
So, yeah, it's uh, when you look at different life forms and uh, what they have adapted as far as the metallic elements that allow them to thrive in the external atmosphere, it's, it's there's a deeper story present there, too, uh, which brings me to another um, thing that's always uh, I've always felt most important that I don't see in many alchem alchemical texts, which is the seven ray qualities, which are very real attributes that uh, are behind the seven principles that astrologers and people talk about, but um, very little speaking on the the very real hierarchy of intelligence that creates those seven attributes. That becomes important in the practice of laboratory alchemy because uh, any alchemist knows that preparations made out of metals are very, very potent and plant medicine uh potent in a different way but less pronounced in its activity but uh there's very little discussion as far as why that is and i believe you have to go to the understanding of the seven elements for instance in the mineral kingdom you've got ray uh one and seven one is that you know the 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 pure will force of the godhead seven is the the ray of transmutation, actually ceremonial order, or or just the the science of the natural order. So, minerals embody those two very uh, potent ray qualities. So, when you make a medicine out of that, you are actually distilling that quintessence from those two rays. And then, um, uh, likewise with with plant medicine, you've got different ray qualities. You, you know, and and. What are they like two, uh, which is love, wisdom, six, uh, which is devotion, um, uh, four, which is uh, conflict or through uh, harmony through conflict. And each of those have different things when you understand them. But through that, you create the principle of magnetism, color, uh, olfactory uh, things that, uh, you know, relate to your olfactory senses, you know, perfume qualities of flowers. And then you have the principle of growth. Uh, to light. So when you're doing plant medicine, you're getting a whole different thing that is brings you one step closer to the animal and human kingdom, which incorporates the other rays, which is an individualization or self consciousness. So, you know, when you understand that whole mechanism, uh, and how each kingdom and nature embodies certain things, and now as an alchemist, you can uh, incorporate those qualities into your medicine if you know what's at play in each one then it's it's a it's a powerful thing yeah that's awesome i mean uh i haven't uh actually you've, you've definitely gone a level above where i've looked into there with the seven rays and all that um but i was thinking of how the elements correspond with our senses um you know we have uh, eyes which are for light which is fire um nose which is for air um and our sense of taste is actually water it's a water sense you know as we have saliva in our mouth to like make things wet so we can taste them as it were or taste the water um and our sense of touch corresponds with earth right because we touch the earth ah, we yeah. feel the earth and the ears actually correspond with the ether it's an interesting one because you think oh the ears might correspond with the air because we hear sound in the air but actually the ears pick up vibration in all the ether Right, they work in the air, they work underwater, and they work in the earth as well. So, the the word ether is actually an anagram of the ear, right? The ear, um, and uh, which is super interesting. And so, the ear 
actually is our most sensitive uh, organ that picks up the vibrations in the ether across a huge uh, bandwidth of frequencies. You know, the, the ears have a higher bandwidth uh, than any of the other senses uh, because they are our uh, ether sense. And, uh, and you know, in the, there's the correspondence of the, the five elements with the, the fingers on your hand. I, I learned recently, I, mean, I don't know if this is true or not, but the reason the middle finger is an insult is because it's the finger for ether, right? That's, that's what I, I don't know if it's true or not, but that's how, apparently why the middle finger is an insult because it's the finger representing ether and they're trying to like abolish the ether from our consciousness altogether. I, I don't know. Also called the stinka finger in German. <laughs> hey, um, bringing up the seven rays again, and I, I do think, Bear, we need to do a whole alpha cast on that for sure. Okay. Presentation, uh, not putting you on the spot here, Bear, but I think that's it's presentation time for that. Um, but uh, that being said, obviously, one thing it's keying in on is this concept, the nature of light, right? And I going back to one of the big fallacies of of, from the age of enlightenment or the age of reason moving forth into modern science is this idea of indeterminacy. The very, the thing that gets that science gets stuck with is that they say light is based on particles of photons. And the only way that we can understand truth is by getting to the smallest reductionist point of the cause, but they can't do that because they can't go smaller than the particle of the photon so they're stuck in this idea that we can't go small enough. So now we have particle physics and looking for the God particle, but this idea of indeterminacy, we cannot determine reality because we are stuck at a certain threshold, which of course taps into like philosophers like Hume who said in Locke that say, we can't know reality because our senses deceive us. So we're stuck in our own head that leads to this sort of schizophrenic notion of reality, which is essentially where we are now. The world is schizophrenic because of this philosophical standpoint that we can't know reality because it we can't observe it because we're stuck in photons. And the, I just want to say the beautiful thing about alchemy and understanding the quality of nature of true science is that light is not a photon. It's not a particle. Light is essentially God consciousness, right, in waveform, if you, if you want to say. And I'd love to – I just bring this up, Steve, because I'd love to – you going through, you know, as you did as a become a PhD in, in physics and everything, where are you now with light? Where do you stand with that and the importance of sort of the illumination of where we go with alchemy moving forward? So um, you mean uh, flashlight isn't shooting photon projectiles? <laughs> go ahead, Steve. Oh, you mean photons aren't like shooting through the universe over millions of light years from distant uh, worlds? Oh, I'm shocked. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, no, there's no photons. And, you know, it was never actually shown any evidence for photons. It was just declared, you know, um, you know, it's just declared that that is the nature of light. And, you know, to be fair, you can pulse, you know, you can do pulse wave modulation, in which case light will come in little packets and you could call those packets photons if you want to. Um, but, uh, you know, and in some cases there will be pulse wave, pulse wave modulation happening to the light. And, um, uh, but, um, you know, there's, I don't think there's any light particles in any absolute sense, uh, and that it is a continuous wave phenomenon, um, like sound. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, of course, you know, Christ said, I am the light, right? I am the light, the way and the truth. And, you know, when you think about that, it's like, 
you know, just the, the light, like as in all the light as a single thing, um, it is totally divine. And uh, it's like, you know, it's fire is the purest element and the highest element uh, because it's, well, it has no impurities in itself. Like air, air is impure, water's impure, earth is impure, but fire has no impurities in it at all. It's completely pure and it's the purifying element. So it's able to penetrate air and purify it. It's able to penetrate water and purify it and able to penetrate earth and purify it. And, you know, this is why we see um, like the beautiful blue, turquoise blue waters that we see in the tropics because it gets more sun because it's more directly underneath it. Um, it reflects the ether, which is the blue in the sky. Um, you know, that, that sky blue or cerulean blue, as it's sometimes called, um, is the color of the ether, you know, and um, it's, uh, it's very high up, right? It's like you don't see blue sky under the clouds, you know, even like really high clouds, you won't see like any blueness under the clouds at all. It's obviously, you know, way high up. And as we talked about at the start, hydrogen goes straight up. Like it's just like, as soon as you create it, it's like way up there, you know? And uh, I was quite pleased to learn that hydrogen uh, burns with a blue flame as well, right? So it's kind of, yeah, ties in nicely there as well that hydrogen is ether. Um, I, I may not be the first person to make this claim, but I promise you, I came up with it originally going through the, the book writing process. I'm like, you know what? I think hydrogen is ether. I'm just, I'm just going to claim it. You know, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to put it out there and see what people say. So, um, that is part of the, yeah, one of the claims. So from, from your, uh, learned perspective, uh, how would you explain, uh, we're talking about hydrogen. So how about deuterium, which is an extra neutron, I guess, uh, to make it heavier. Um, what would you, how would you explain uh, what they call isotopes of hydrogen, for instance, or any element? Yeah, I Walter mean- Walter Ruslov's a great thing in hydrogen too, but, but please go ahead. Well, th uh, things can be enriched, you know, um, mm -hmm. like, uh, like ozone, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, lady, uh, the oxygens. Oh, you know, Paula Pratt, she was at Music and yeah. Sky, some ozone therapy and stuff with her, you know, and, and she, you know, she was like, it's a, a triple oxygen molecule. And I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, is it not just enriched oxygen? <laughs> and, and when I sort of looked into the process of how it was made, it seems to me it's just enriched oxygen, right? But, um, you know, has anyone proven that it's a, a triple molecule? I, I'm, I expect not. Um, so yeah, so I think a lot of these things, I mean, the, the periodic table is like, a uh, it's a table of substances arranged by, by their density for, for, for the most part, I, I would say, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. you know, they call it atomic mass, which again is another atomic terminology for something which is not atomic. They're not measuring atomic mass, right? They measure density and then they calculate the atomic mass using Avogadro's number and using, you know, uh, theories and stuff like that. They don't measure the atomic mass. Um, and I, I think this is what, one of the things quantum mechanics taught me, right? It's like, um, there's things in physics called observables, right? Which is things you can actually observe. And then there's other things which are not observables, which have to be calculated from observed things. Uh, and so things like atomic mass is not an observable, you know? it's calculated from the density. Um, and so, 
yeah, it's just getting back to what is the actual observable property of the thing you're dealing with. And just in alchemy, you're always talking about that. You're always talking about the properties of the substances, not talking about these uh, fairy tales of atoms and bonds and electrons like swapping and, you know, whatever it is, right? It's like, those are those are actually fairy tales, I'm, I'm convinced. And, you know, I think as if I'm yeah. wrong then please somebody step up and prove prove to me that these things exist because you know I, i've been in this game for like 25 years and i've never seen any evidence for an electron a neutron a proton a nucleus uh a molecule any of it it's uh you know just a chemical language alchemical understandings are so much more elegant and logical and but it's difficult. I find myself all the time because we talk a lot about uh, different health related technologies, you know, for instance, ozone, um, Brown's gas with the uh, hydrogen, uh, you know, you name it. And I always find myself talking in molecular terms because how else do you talk about it with people? Same thing monotomic with theory, you know, monotomic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, so germ theory you know i find myself using words like infection and because you're just talking to an audience that that's the only vocabulary we know which brings me back to your endeavor with part one of your new book it's uh there's a lot of stuff to dispel just to get our heads on straight as far as the words we're using every day I mean, you yeah. got to even just go to Newton, right? Because like his laws uh, suffer from tautology or this idea that his literally his laws require definitions that explain the law. So it's like this circular reasoning where the, he, they can't even explain what a force is because mm -hmm. his definition of force of, of his law of force requires a definition that explains what force is. So they, they lack this this any fundamental understanding of the way nature works because of their own mental process of stuck within this atheistic materialistic reductionist mindset right yeah yeah 100 therefore energy must be found in matter somehow and then that leads to having dark matter and dark energy <laughs> and, <laughs> you know and that's how space works <laughs> Total cluster F. I mean, with the, with, you know, Newton and, uh, well, maybe talk about gravity a bit. Um, you know, uh, one of the things <laughs> I have a chapter in my book about Stephen Hawking. Um, <laughs> I don't know. If I just can... saw a great Robin Williams clip last night about Stephen Hawking <laughs> going to a strip club. Highly recommend. <laughs> I got to see that one uh so i mean there's a story there oh my goodness and uh you know i'm i've tried to get to the bottom of it but i don't know if it's even possible but um you know i i grew up admiring stephen hawking and you know thinking he was like a genius and you know super curious and all that um i'm thinking he was doing all this amazing work in relativity and black holes and space research and everything uh and you know i think a lot of people did and a lot of people still do you know um and kelly brogan told me that she lined up for three hours to meet him you know, at harvard university which yeah it's pretty crazy but um so what, what seems to have come out from the stephen hawking situation is that um you know uh he, he's 
he's never actually said anything. You know, I mean, he's he's like a, a vegetable. You know, a, a, a basically a prop. You know, that gets like wheeled around, and they'll they'll type <laughs> they'll type stuff into the uh, computer. Whoever's using him, you know, say it's the BBC or um, you know whoever it is, they'll you know write the script into the computer. And of course, we just see him sitting there, and we hear the computer <laughs> voice, and and we assume that he's like. He's chosen those words with his with his cheek muscle. That's it. He's got he's got a controller in his cheek muscle, and he twitches it in binary code in order to um, you know select words on the screen and everything. That's what we're, what we're told. Um, but uh, you know, it's come out. I mean, it's been shown. I think without you know con conclusively that like he never said a damn thing. You know, he really didn't write brief history of time. It was probably ghost writers um, that did it and. Uh, you know, all the, his work in relativity is uh, completely fruitless and useless. I mean, they don't teach it at university. You don't go and learn about Hawking uh, at university. It's like uh, I didn't learn about Hawking's work and I studied general relativity and all that. It wasn't even included in the class. Right. It's like nobody's using Hawking's equations for anything. It's like they're not uh useful at all and um <clears throat> he actually hasn't contributed anything useful to science and he never said a damn word and people worship him like he's a genius right but he's actually a vegetable uh and perhaps not even a real person you know that there's people say maybe three or four different versions of the man in the chair you know when you see a picture of him in the 1970s i mean he's tiny he's all skinny and you know black hair and everything and then <laughs> 2007 he's got blonde hair and like new teeth and he's all like shiny <laughs> you know he lived for 55 years after he was diagnosed with a terminal condition, you know, um, he's supposed to have no more than two years to live. He lived for 55 more years, but, um, maybe he had access to the philosopher's stone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. Well, I wouldn't want to do it if it did that to you, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, so the story goes, um, that he was, uh, it was 1963. He was diagnosed. He deteriorated rapidly over the next few years. But then through the late 60s and 70s, he managed to have three children with his wife. I mean, don't even think about that, right? It's like he can't move or anything like But He had three kids during the 70s. And, uh, and then he went to... Um, uh, his wife really must have been something. Yeah, yeah. By the way, his kids look nothing like him at all, which is kind of lucky for them, I suppose. But... Um, the, uh, he went to, uh, a conference in Geneva at CERN actually, and was a whole other thing, but, um, in 1985, and we're told that he, he developed pneumonia and was, um, taken to hospital and they gave him a trach tracheotomy, um, and basically destroyed his throat and, and, and he was never able to like make, make any sound again after that. But in the seventies, he couldn't speak either. He was just, you know groaning you know uh unintelligibly and people would interpret what he was saying you know and be like oh yeah he's talking about black holes but he's just you know it's just like and it makes no sense at all and we're told that this is him working you know um anyway so he comes but out he did muster up a stiffy he, he uh he gets he gets taken from Geneva back to England, uh, where he's basically on death's door and he's very, very sick, disappears. And then a year later, like a phoenix from the flame, he comes back as this super genius wheelchair professor with a, a robot voice, right? Uh, 
I, I can't but notice it's the same year as the movie Robocop came out, 1985. It's interesting the similarity there, right? It's a very similar situation as in the movie <laughs> Robocop, right? You have a, a biological man that's kind of on death's door and, you know, can barely move or speak or anything being brought back to life is with, you know, uh, a machine. Um, anyway, so then, then, uh, a brief history of time was then published a year later. And then for the next 30 years, he was the number one celebrity scientist. He's like all over. He's in all TV shows. He's in movies He's in the Simpsons and Futurama. And he's, uh, you know, going around all the universities touring and, you know, he's like, in, you know, up in space and everything, <laughs> you know, orbit. He's like, on Jeffrey Epstein's island as well. I mean, like, what the hell is going on there? Turns out Epstein held a conference on the subject of gravity in 2012 and invited Stephen Hawking and others like Lawrence Krauss and uh, people like that, other like top physicists to, with the purpose of defining gravity, right? This was the stated purpose of the event to define gravity. Um, very weird. But I mean, the reason I want to just go into that is because what I came to realize and why, why I think the Hawking uh, PSYOP was, was there, why they did all that is, is, is just to uphold gravity. I swear to God, like keeping gravity alive is one of the most important things to these people. And here's the thing. Gravity is Newton. Gravity is Einstein and gravity is Hawking. That's it. There's no other. You cannot possibly talk about gravity without invoking Newton, Einstein, or Hawking. They are gravity. They represent gravity in all its different forms. And, uh, and I think they are constantly put into the public eye for the purposes of uh, maintaining this belief in gravity. Because other than atomism, gravity is the other linchpin that holds the entire kingdom of lies together. You know, um, atoms and gravity, they are the the pillars that, that it's all based upon, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know what the truth of Stephen Hawking, I mean, there's much more to it, you know, the story I'll go into in the in the book and everything, but it's a kind of a cruel, uh, it's dark and cruel, but also kind of funny in a way. Um, I, I think it's a mockery, a mockery of uh, idolatry, right? Because like, because the, the people who worship Stephen Hawking, they're idolaters. They're not scientists, right? It's like if you were actually, if you actually thought about it scientifically, you'd realize it was a fraud, right? But if you're an idolater, you're like, wow, look at the genius. Oh, the genius man in the wheelchair. He's so smart, you know. Um, it's pure idolatry. And, and, and I think a lot of these psyops are actually like a kind of mockery against people who are, you know, <laughs> idolaters let's say i mean that's the best i could come up with as to why they would why they would do it but again i'm I'm just theorizing also because... you can't you can't uh question somebody who's handicapped like that i mean it's oh yeah you, you can't... can't argue with a mute in a wheelchair that's the other thing right it's like you can't argue with a mute in a wheelchair you would be um you know you'd be an ableist uh you know discriminator whatever it is you know but um and no, nobody ever did it. argue with him I always did find it too interesting that the Newton apple falling right for gravity is like the the sacred fruit or the uh, you know from like the Garden of Eden falling from the tree of knowledge and that whole symbology around that and the, and the great deception with gravity 
Uh, yeah, and it's a theory, it's an explanation for why things fall. And, um, you know, the, the solar system, the model of the solar system was called the theory of falling bodies, right? Bef before it was called heliocentrism and stuff, it's called the theory of falling bodies. Why? Because in space, everything is falling all the time. Everything's just falling, you know what I mean? Just in a constant state of falling. The sun is falling, uh, the earth is falling towards the sun. You know, the moon is falling towards the earth. Like everything is just falling, falling, falling all the time. And uh, which is interesting because in space, there's no up or down, right? It's just a vacuum. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. That, well, that's the other part of it, right? The, the, um, the up down. And it's dimension. also, yeah. So it's also built down. Access corresponds with divinity, right? It's like, we're, it's, you know, God is above. The devil is below. Heaven is above. Hell is below. It's like humans are upright. You know, we're upright, upstanding. You know, to it means to be like right, to be like godly. But gravity completely obliterates the vertical axis altogether. It's like there is no such thing as up or down anymore. It's just like you're up and you're. You know, we're we're all pointing different angles. Every single human on the ball Earth has a different up and a different down. Right. So, but actually. If we live on a plane, up is up and down is down, and there's no two ways about it, right? It's like up is always up and down is always down, um, and so, so then that brings science and morality line up then again, and it all makes sense. You're like, okay, that's why we say upstanding and upright and morally upright and all these things. It's because you know the up down axis. We're the humans. We're the only species to stand upright, um, you know, to live upright. You know. Um, yeah and it's all based on entropy which makes perfect sense if you're understanding we live in a death cult and um you know there's a, a lot of hand-wringing about the bifurcation of people on the planet and of course it's explained through political lines all the time but what we're talking about here is the real bifurcation it's the people that understand who they are Maybe we don't know all the specifics, but we know the essentials. And then there's the folks that believe they're little helpless stick figures and everything's by accident. And that's fine too. I don't care what people believe, but the real issue comes in that if you don't know who you are, then how can you take responsibility for your actions and be upright in the first place? And of course, that's what they try to reduce us to is, um, you know, helpless sinners that are uh, at very best going to be able to uh, sing in the clouds someday with somebody. And well, yeah, the thing is that actually the whole thing of like being sinners makes a lot more sense to me now, uh, uh, rather than being a blob of atoms. You know what I mean? It was actually like life was much more confusing when I thought of myself as a blob of atoms. But with the sinner thing, I've just I've just like come to understand that like uh, it's just about we have the as humans we have the opportunity to wander. You know, sin is about like wandering, right? Wandering from the path, like the wandering stars. You know, all the other stars are fixed, right? They go around in circles around the pole star, but the wandering stars they wa they wander like back and forward, like off their paths. And and I see that's what humans do. We're sinners in the sense that we we wander off the path we go backwards and forward we make mistakes we correct things it's like we're we're able to move in this sinusoidal way you know we're not like robots you just got to do everything right on the money all the time 
it's like we 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 have scope to wander and uh so that's how i understand the sinner thing from uh from christianity now it's not um it's not a judgment it's just a, a statement of the nature of who we are and our freedom to to wander and get things wrong <laughs> and i believe sin its uh, original and intended meaning was about lack uh take your pick lack of knowledge uh lack of essential elements in our body that make it impossible for us to rebuild the temple and become capacitors for the divine um it's it's all about lack and uh of course that's what they keep feeding to us there's there's not enough uh you're only this and and you're born this way and you're gonna die um nobody's ever proven that death is part of the natural order uh meanwhile there's great evidence that a lot of us understand as far as why aging and death does occur and that it's not part of the natural realm it wasn't natural design and there's no reason for it except if we by our own volition do things that impede the moment by moment renew renewal and furthering of our not just our biology but our consciousness which the body is a reflection from so uh, there's a reason why and this is the ultimate alchemist i believe who once said this which was death is the last enemy to overcome learn to die well as well as that old one learn to die well <laughs> which maybe uh, may relate to that somehow um it's kind of a perplexing one but i i was going to mention uh just, just something you, you were saying back there about um lack yeah uh, you were talking about lack and uh i was thinking about it in in the context of power generation you know because uh again we get taught in physics there's no such thing as free energy you can't have perpetual motion machines blah blah blah, blah. you know uh, energy is scarce and expensive we're in an energy crisis don't you know you know you, you have to pay 300 pounds a month just to heat your home these days but, uh, fossil fuels yeah yeah all that shit like it, it's just nonsense and and like it, power generation comes from the elements like you know fire the sun all the ways you can generate power from the sun air windmills you know whatever you know lots of ways to generate power from the air water you know tides and uh you know uh well just tons I, i've made a list of all the different power generation methods and how they correspond with the different elements um you know because of course water and air and fire are all moving and like living you know they're changing the sun's moving through the sky the tides are rising the winds are blowing and they're always doing that so you're always able to extract energy from them and then earth kind of has the energy potential you know put into it so you can burn the earth or you can transmute it or you can create potential difference or whatever you know so there's uh actually even more ways to generate energy from earth than there is from the other elements you know there's more variety of ways you can get energy from earth so uh energy is totally abundant and everyone should be able to generate their own power the only reason we can't is because we're locked into this atomic you know centralized way of like looking at everything and uh we all get our little you know energy slice of energy from the government but you know there's no reason why a group of people shouldn't be able to get together and figure out their own energy needs um i think that they're just uh misinformed you know to the point where like no one can figure out how to do it or at least very few people 
can actually figure out how to just make maybe it. we could uh, maybe we could get some government grants to look into all this. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that's the other aspect of it. Yeah, is like anyone who, of course, discovers this, if they were to try and share it with the world, you know, then they're they're going to get some unwanted uh, attention. <laughs> well, that's why um, it's important to move into this age of decentralization, which I'm a huge fan of, because that is so true in the past, especially those that got suckered into thinking they need a patent for that technology. And then, of course, they're, all they're doing is going into a honey trap and then putting themselves out there to be isolated and killed off. But I do think we're, we're, we're moving into this wonderful time, as you're mentioning, the Great Awakening, where we have the ability to disseminate the, the information so quickly and rapidly and decentralized where it can't be shut off, it can't be shut down, and people can start putting this into play. But going back to alchemy, once again, that energy comes from inside, it comes from awareness, it comes from the knowledge, right? This idea, like in alchemy, there's this concept of the prima materia, right? Where it's the essential essence of where the mercury comes from, where the philosopher's stone originates, right? Where we, where, how we can create uh, the elixir of life and live forever. And that's all internal, right? There's this idea of spiritual alchemy. It's all comes from within. And so as Bear was so poignantly saying, it's just coming to the awareness about who we are and what we are to, to define ourselves and not die because it's all just, we set up those restrictions ourselves with our misunderstanding about who we are. And so, uh, you know, I, I can't wait to get into the second part of your book, Steve, and see where you go with all that. Because I think for me, that's the funnest part of alchemy is going deep into the philosopher's stone and what that means in terms of our own anatomy and the, the metaphysics behind it all. Um, are you delving into a lot of that with, in the book? Yeah, yeah. This is a, there's definitely uh, all, all that stuff will be included, the Philosopher's Stone and, and everything. I mean, um, you know, and, you know, it is it is in-depth, but it's also an introduction. I mean, I would call it an, an in-depth introduction to alchemy, right? So I want to be able to write books about alchemy in the future, but before I do, I need to both, you know, I need to essentially set the the set the setting, I guess, uh, of, of where, where I'm at. And, you know, this involves like the same covering all the physics and the science stuff and then introducing the alchemy. And then I, I think then I'll, I'll actually have something to stand on in terms of, you know, speaking out to the world. I can actually say, well, you know, I have something that explains everything that I'm talking about uh, that, that you can read, you know. Um, so, yeah, really excited to get this out. I mean, I'm literally just uh, uh, got to finish the last chapter um and do some uh, a bit of editing and get the references and all that um uh put into it so um i'm kind of at the moment angling for like a springtime maybe like april release and uh i'm probably just going to self-publish it i don't i don't really yeah i mean I, I don't know how to go about finding a publisher or any of that kind of thing i think it's probably just self-publishing i mean do you guys have any thoughts about that I, I think publishing is kind of passe as well. Uh, when you have access to all these networks, you could probably reach, not probably, you'll definitely reach a lot more people quicker than even getting some kind of book deal or paying somebody else to do it. So uh, that, like Mike was saying, it's part of a, the whole decentralization trend that's actually happening right now is uh, we don't need them to say okay you're worthy of uh, being published but uh, can you change chapter so and so and 
then their editor gets busy and then they decide to disseminate it or kill it. Um, yeah, yeah we, we don't need to go through all that. Plus, you save all that time and get your message out while it's still relevant. So I definitely opt for self-publishing. Uh, we'll certainly do everything in our power to spread it through our community and all related communities that we're, you know, running around with there. So you'll have a lot of eyes on your uh, project on day one. No, that's, that's a beautiful thing great. about what we're all doing these days. You can get print on demand. There's print on demand services that'll make the books as they're ordered for you. And you can, you know, it's the same thing with music, right? You used to have to go through a record label and a publisher to get your music out through EMI and these other distribution platforms to get you in all the record stores and everything. And then they would of course take 75% of the profit and uh, recut some of your tracks. <laughs> same thing with and you know, make, <laughs> make you do a blood sacrifice. Yeah, <laughs> that too. Sign your life away. Um, yeah. But- well, that's like you say about the death cult, right? It's like the music industry knows that the artists are going to die and the music is going to live on. Right. That's, you know, that's what you don't know when you're getting into. You're like, I just want to make music and be a musician. It's like, but they know you're going to die and they're going to own the music after you die. Right. And, uh, and the, the, you know, potentially they, they can make music long and uh, sorry, they can make money long into the future. And not only that, you have to sign up to, to, go out and perform until you die. That's why the Rolling Stones are still performing and the Eagles are on their like 10th final tour, supposedly, you know, it's like, God, you guys are in your seventies and you're still out there performing. Well, there's a lot to say that they've signed, they've literally signed these contracts where they have to do this. Yeah. Uh, the corporate assets, you know, um, that's it. You're a corporate asset and you're going to be rinsed for every single bit of uh, value they can get out of you. Um, but going back to the publishing thing, yeah, um, I mean, go talk to Marty Leeds, right? Like, uh, that's what he does now. And I would just create your own website where you can have your store there. Um, obviously, we will share it through uh, the Alphavedic community platforms and all the other platforms that are out there. And uh, yeah, then you're in control and you you get to do what you want to do. Uh, it's exciting times for that, man. I really... <laughs> I love it. I love that we are the new media, right? And um, all the gatekeepers are losing their grip on everything right now. I mean, look at Netflix, the streaming debacle right now with um, the whole downfall of that model. And like literally Hollywood is collapsing because of it. And they're going to have to reinvent themselves. And same with the publishing world. I mean, it's pretty bad. I know in in, um, with like Amazon too, a lot of those print on demand, they work directly with Amazon. So you can be on Amazon, you can be on all of those major publishing platforms online and just self do it all yourself. So um, I will say it'd be, I still go to Barnes and Nobles because I like going to physical bookstores. So maybe down the line, there is a way to get in those stores because that that is fun still. They're far and few between, but it is nice to go into a, a physical bookstore and do that. Maybe talk to Tom Cowan. Uh, uh, I have been actually. Yeah, we've had a few dialogues about it, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to be sending him uh, a draft as soon as it's ready. Beautiful, nice. Brother. Yeah. So, Steve, this has been an amazing conversation, and just uh, fun to reconnect with you after a couple of years. So, um, any final thoughts? And then, of course, uh, we want to make sure that our audience has all your contacts and links where they can find your work um well nothing really jumps to mind at the moment uh i um headflux.com is my my main uh, website at the moment and uh you can sign up to my email list there 
uh, had new music out a few weeks ago, which I uh, hope uh, people will go and check out. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just, uh, yeah, really grateful to you guys for for having me back. Um, it's been a great conversation. I think last time I, I got some slides out and everything, I was like, but this time I was like, just wanted to just have a straight conversation, flow of consciousness with you and and see where it goes. It's been absolutely great. I think I've managed to cover uh, all the major sort of themes that I'm I'm talking about in my book um, in a in a small amount of detail, but uh, and and you've given me a lot of inspiration for uh, finish you know finishing the book now and uh, and and getting out there. So um, yeah, th th thank you both. I have one more question for you, Steve. Coming from academia, do you see sort of a I don't know, rebelling revolution within academia itself, because there is a lot to say about the power of academic institutions, of those coming together and, and, and having places of learning, right? And the great libraries and all of that. I mean, that was essentially like the, the, where the knowledge kind of comes from and, and elements of decentralization can be a little bit separating and, 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 uh, you know, I don't know, fracturing. And, and I do believe there's, you know, there's a lot of value to having an institution still where we can come together and work together. Do you see maybe those institutions coming sprouting up independently now? And um, do you have do you think that's even needed anymore? Or where do you see academia going as this everything starts to flip on its head? That's a really good question, Mike. Um, you know, <clears throat> I mean, look, I, I like the idea of being like an old professor, like teaching alchemy, you know, at some institution. <laughs> but the thing is, I'm totally unemployable because all those institutions are completely woke. And, uh, you know, I don't know if there's any rebellion in academia or not. I've not seen any evidence of it. I mean, it's kind of an, en an enclave or an enclave, right? It's like they're just locked, you know, they're locked away in their own world, saying and doing whatever they, they want, talking in their own language that doesn't relate to the outside world. Um, and... Uh, you know, I would like I would like to see change, but whether whether it's possible, I don't know. I, I, I can't say, Mike. I mean, but but look, if there's a great awakening, and if you know, at some point the reins of power are handed over from evil people to good people, then yeah, it would. I would expect it would happen in academia too. You know, the the power is in the halls. You know, I talk about this with Alex Zek sometimes. He's always talking about authority and and power and stuff. It's like it's like the power is in the halls, right? It's the halls of power. Um, and whoever's walking those halls, they get to wield the power. But yeah, of course, no man really has any more power than any other man unless they're in that institution, right? In that seat, in that hall. And then they have the power of that institution behind them. Um, so yeah, you know, there's power in the institutions. And it does seem that they've been completely taken over by, uh, you know, woke, uh, you know, Marxist, um, propaganda and stuff um but maybe one day it'll be handed over and we can sort of restore some honor to the academic tradition um because it's in a real low <laughs> state it's a complete joke now like i why, um yeah well i think all of us here agree that there's uh an intelligence operative behind the scenes and that um if you want to liken it to maybe a, a lawful process, what we're experiencing on a planet planet right now is discovery. And in that is uh, end game as far as what we've had to endure for so many centuries. So uh, I don't 
I don't even think for a moment it's even a contest. It's already been won. It's already been decided. And it's just incumbent on some of us to hold the space as conduits for that new consciousness coming through. And let's just get this job done. And what you're doing, uh, there's a great part of it because there's still folks that are um, reachable, I think, even though uh, I've kind of admit I've given up on a bunch of them. Uh, you know, there's there's still a lot more that are waking up. So, yeah, we're we're good. We're good. Just make sure uh, the only thing I say to everybody, just make sure you got some uh, stuff put away just to kind of make it through the other side there. <laughs> yeah, th th there's that um, famous quote. I think it's usually attributed to Max Planck, but the, I think it's been many people have sort of said it. But, you know, progress in science happens one tombstone at a time. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about that a lot, you know, because it's sort of like, there's two sort of sides to it. Like on the one hand, yeah, a professor can grow old and die, and then his theory is then <laughs> put into history, and someone else comes along, and their theory gets to be popular. Um, but it's also kind of sinister. It's like, well, yeah, it's like progress doesn't happen in science until you kill the guy, <laughs> you know, potentially until you kill off the people who are actually maintaining the bad, the bad science or the bad ideas, right? It's like, because the chances of them developing humility and coming and shaking your hand and saying, you know what, you were right all along, man. I've been wrong my whole life. Here you go, shake my hand. I'm going to change my ways. The chances of that happening, I think, are <laughs> just like minuscule. Well, to, tie it all, to tie it all back in, that's the, the progress of scientism. That's the how the cult works, if you will. But the progress of mankind is um, comes from, I think, uh, the radical the radical Schauberger, the Steiner, those are on the fringes. Those are that are doing things that they find inspirational themselves. And that's what we're all about here. And I do just to go back to my question. I don't think it's going to happen in academia. I think it's the farmer, the homesteader. <laughs> it's the people going to music and sky people on our alphabetic platform. We're the ones that are now connecting through digital technology. There's good elements of this and eventually hopefully psychically connected. Uh, that are doing it, that are the ones actually making the change and are the real movers and shakers of the realm. So, uh, Steve, you embody that, right? You are a Renaissance man in full form here in front of us, uh, author, music maker, uh, artist, philosopher. Uh, so thank you again, friend, for uh, sharing this valuable time with us today. I'm, the chat was really loving it. Uh, I can't wait to actually, this is one of the ones I'll re-listen to because there's a lot of great nuggets in this one um please guys go support steve go to his Bandcamp page and um purchase his music uh because that is rare these days artists actually um being paid for their for their music for their digital outlets um and steve hope to have you come out here and perform again and not have the sheriff shut you down uh <laughs> If you can make it out to the next Music in Sky, we'd be honored to have you again. But if not, we'll, I'm sure there'll be another event around these parts, or maybe we'll do Music in Sky Scotland one day. We'll see. Um, <laughs> well, I'd absolutely take any opportunity to come and connect with you guys again. That would be amazing. And uh, yeah, thank you for calling me a re renaissance man. That's uh, qu quite a compliment. You know, uh, it's this thing that's been coming up the last few years. and. Uh, yeah, I, I would like to live up to that. You know, it's a lofty sort of ambition. You know, how do you define it? But uh, certainly, uh, you know, yeah, do, doing the art and doing the science and, and 
authoring and the alchemy and yeah feel like i'm getting there so thank you for that it was a great compliment and steve thank you and uh look forward to your book and i know we're going to stay connected here and uh, i'd love to see you in the back end of our member site too if you aren't already there yes i need to come and join your new site so i haven't gotten around to that yet uh yeah i will uh send you a special password or excuse me a special coupon code to get in there and then we can um create a special group based around, I'd love to do one around 432 Hertz or uh, also just everything we've talked about today. We're already in there going deep into all that stuff, but uh, to support you further, uh, we had Mike Wan on recently. He just got in there a couple of days ago and uh, Eileen McCusick has joined, Don Lester's in there, uh, really trying to make this a, a place uh, where we can go deep into all these subjects in the private, outside the scope of the technological cretins uh, the, the technocrats that are trying to always manipulate and control the digital realm. Um, I do see all of that falling apart too. And, uh, it's just a fun time, man. So, um, and you, you might even think of it as a university. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. The, Should we start the, giving out diplomas, Mike? Well, there will be some hazing involved and uh sigma bonga toka but um <laughs> yeah no it's uh it really is like that um and what's great is it's open source in a sense that anybody can create a group of interest and people anybody can decide to join and then start adding to it and so it's very like natural in that way you don't have to sign up for your courses and you've got your you know your um your court, what do you call that? You know, the person you had to go talk to that would give you, put you on your path towards your career, you know, and you had to get your certain units to get your graduation. No, this is fully open, fully natural. We'll have, a, we'll have virtual dorm rooms with bongs. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm there. <laughs> Wizard of Oz, you know, playing with the uh, dark side of the moon, We're doing all that too, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it's like the, 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 the computers and the technology are sort of having the same effect on academia as they are on on traditional media, you know, traditional academia and traditional yeah. media. Uh, they're just information services at the end of the day, aren't they? And and the, the internet and the, the technology we have now is really just um, trumping, <laughs> for lack of a better word, it's kind of trumping traditional media and traditional academia. So, uh, um, yeah, I think, I think you're right. There, there may even be like no real use for these academic institutions and let's face it a lot of them are really ugly buildings anyway <laughs> wouldn't it be a great loss if they were knocked down and replaced with something more useful and, and fun so yeah i did enjoy the extracurricular activities during college so <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 there were some Steve, good this has been time. brilliant um so awesome to talk to you love you a lot and um we'll be talking soon Ooh, scotch. Yeah, feel, feel free we to do reach tequila out to us in our too. part of the world. <laughs> um, you know, on the new platform, we can DM and stuff, but definitely like, uh, especially Barry, he's such a wealth of knowledge around alchemy and stuff. You know, if you have any questions, please don't be bashful. And um, really looking forward to your to reading your book, man. Um, guys, go support Steve and everything he's doing. And um, keep an eye out for announcements on Music and Sky. Also, Confluence is in April. So if you can check that out, um, you can use the uh, coupon code WINNER10 for 10% off your coupon there. 
you know, meeting, coming together in person is so important, obviously. And we try to do that as much as we can. And we will be offering some cool workshops at the Alpha Vedic Farm uh, come spring, summer, fall's even great. So uh, that's another reason to join the platform. Uh, and we will be dropping, we've got a, a my, uh, mycelium uh, mushroom workshop still. I got to get up there on there, Bear. Uh, so we'll, we record these workshops. I'll get you those files. Yeah. So, okay, guys. Thanks so much. Remember to get outside, get your feet in the dirt, go plant something, go for a hike, go hug a tree, show Mother Nature some love. She'll show it right back to you. Those elementals, they're here for us. Uh, so go engage with them. And um, remember, it's all about the playful uh, exposure to life that is why we're here. So go enjoy your hero's journey because that's what we're all about. Okay, guys, love you. We'll see you next week with Isabel friend, Isabel Amiga. She'll be here to go deep into the nature of the water elemental. And I'm sure she will love your theory about hydrogen being the principa materia, principa materia, if you will, the ether. Uh, that is right up her alley and literally what she talks about. So, uh, okay guys, thanks so much. Have a beautiful rest of your weekend. Cheers. <laughs>